Welcome to Women in Construction, the podcast, sponsored by Deer Construction and brought to you by Canadian Consulting Engineer, Canadian Rental Service, Canadian Contractor, Crane and Hoist Canada, Electrical Business, Fenestration Review, Glass Canada, Onsite, and Rock to Road. I'm Peter Saunders, editor of Canadian Consulting Engineer. I'm here today with Jeanette Southwood of Engineers Canada to speak about the program that they have uh, been running for years now to encourage women to join the engineering field. And uh, with regard to this podcast, we'll also be speaking specifically about the construction side of that field. So to begin with, Jeanette, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Peter. I'm very happy to be here. And thank you for the invitation. For sure. So tell us, because not of all of our um, uh, listeners will be familiar uh, with UN Engineers Canada, a little bit about your background and your career in engineering and how it all started. Certainly. I am Vice President Corporate Affairs and Strategic Partnerships at Engineers Canada. And when I graduated from engineering and at the very beginning of my career journey, my roles were mainly very technically focused. And as I progressed through my career, I took on management and leadership positions, including local, provincial, Canada-wide, and international roles at a global consulting firm. In fact, I was the first Black woman to be appointed to the senior leadership position of principal at that global firm. And that was but, Golder? Uh, yes, that's right. That was Golder. And But in parallel, in working in consulting, I was also a volunteer in the engineering profession, as well as for a number of other organizations. So when I began volunteering with my engineering regulator, which is Professional Engineers Ontario, I became more and more familiar with Engineers Canada. And Engineers Canada is the national organization that represents the 12 provincial and territorial engineering regulators that license the more than 300,000 members of the engineering profession in Canada. And when a position became open at Engineers Canada in 2015, I was hired and I began working there then. And what position was that that you started with there? So that was Vice President Strategy and Partnership. And since 2015, my role has evolved to be Vice President Corporate Affairs and Strategic Partnerships. And the Corporate Affairs and Strategic Partnerships team includes our equity, diversity, and inclusion portfolio, as well as our communications, outreach, and engagement, and public policy, public affairs, and government relations portfolios. And the Women in Engineering program precedes that? It was uh, around before you joined uh, the organization? Yes. In fact, Engineers Canada has been involved in women in engineering and in advancing the numbers of women in engineering since 1990, so long before I joined Engineers Canada. 30 by 30, though, is a goal that arose within the past decade. Uh, and 30 by 30 is the goal to have 30% of newly licensed engineers be women by 2030. So back in 1990, Engineers Canada, Industry Science and Technology Canada uh, initiated the formation of the Canadian Committee on Women in Engineering. And together with, the, with Employment and Immigration Canada and the Association of Consulting Engineering Companies Canada, also known as ACEC Canada, the Association of Universities and Colleges of Canada, and the Canadian Manufacturers Association, this Canadian Committee on Women in Engineering put together advice and guidance that is actually still relevant today, decades later, that was the basis for some of the work that initiated 30 by 30. 30 by 30 was an initiative that started with our Alberta regulator, APEGA, and they 
called the goal 30 by 2030. And Engineers Canada's Women in Engineering Committee evaluated whether it was possible to take that goal national. And they decided that yes, it was. Our board approved it. And when our board approved it, each of our regulators signed on to that goal. And that goal has been a goal that uh, we have all rallied around. Now, it's not only the regulators, it's universities across the country, 65% of the higher education institutions across the country that offer engineering programs have signed on. And we are now approaching employers to sign on also because we believe that to truly make change, we have to have the buy-in of employers across the country. This really begs the question, you know, it's kind of a burning question in my mind. At this point, does it look like you'll reach 30 by 30? It's a great question. And it's a question that we ask ourselves all the time. And back when we were reporting on 30 by 30, I would say 2016, 2017, we thought, let's think about interim goals. So what about 20 by 20? What about 25 by 25? To give us a sense of whether uh, of that momentum and also to be able to communicate, is this really feasible? So I can share that we did reach 20 by 20. At the end of 2020, we had 20.6% of newly licensed women, uh, newly licensed engineers being women across the country. And we see that as a very positive uh, touch point. And so we're continuing to take that momentum and to reach out. And like I said, the next goal for us is reaching out to employers and having employers be involved much more deeply in 30 by 30. And working back from that, what do you see being the specific challenges regarding the attraction of women to the engineering field? And of course, specifically for our audience uh, to the construction industry. So to the engineering field, and I would say that this would apply to any field that uh, does not have very many women in it, any field that is male dominated, I would say that barriers include the gender stereotypes that lead to fewer young girls taking the courses required to get into a post-secondary engineering program. Uh, in addition to that, the kind of gender stereotypes, and there's been research that has identified this, that lead young girls to think that they're not good at the kinds of disciplines or skills that are required in fields like engineering. Disciplines like mathematics, there is data to indicate that around six, seven years old, uh, young girls, even if they're getting great marks in math, will believe that they're actually not very good at math or they're not as good at math as boys. Um, other barriers would include um, an unwelcoming workplace culture, uh, bias, harassment, uh, discrimination against women. And that might be from colleagues, it might be from superiors, might also be included unintentionally in hiring practices. And then there is the perception that work like being an engineer or work like being in construction is uh, results in a poor work-life balance, making it difficult to balance family and community demands, which then leads to a problem of retention in engineering. And then the final piece is around the saying, and you may have heard it, Peter, you've got to see it to be it. 
the more we have women leaving engineering, women leaving construction, the fewer women that they are for young people to see as potential role models or for young people to see that it's even possible to have a career in those areas. And given your experience when you were at Golder, what did you find was the situation for women in consulting engineering at that time? So at that time, and I would say still in the present day, the numbers of women who were in male-dominated professions like engineering were still underrepresented. And one of the good things about Golder was that, or one of the things that was very fortunate for me, was that shortly after I joined Golder, Golder started a mentorship program. And it was optional for staff, and I decided that I would definitely sign up for it. It also started a global leadership program. And to me in consulting engineering, mentors were very important to my professional development and also to be able to navigate the corporate spaces, the internal structures. For me and for many others in consulting engineering, it wouldn't have been possible to have a career there without having mentors. And then later on, the mentors became my allies and my sponsors. And then similarly, I became a mentor and a sponsor and an ally to others in consulting engineering and also outside. Now, those are sounds like some great examples of then responses to the challenges that you mentioned uh, earlier that face, you know, as barriers of entry to, uh, to women getting into engineering. What other responses do you and Engineers Canada encourage um, companies, universities, uh, engineers in general to deploy to sort of make things more equitable? One of the things that we believe, and we've put together employer resources to be able to share these these best practices and these potential way forwards, ways forward for engineers, is that the commitment needs to come from leadership, leadership of companies, uh, consulting companies, uh, any organization needs to be able to make a commitment to increasing the numbers of underrepresented individuals within their organizations. And they need to not only make the commitment, let's say it's a spoken commitment, but they need to be able to show action. That action could take the form of creating plans to, uh, to describe exactly how they're planning to make change. This action could take place in describing how they're planning to measure their change, how they are planning to, for example, uh, increase their, their mentorship programs or expand the number of mentorship programs or even have a mentorship program if they don't have them already. And also dig into, well, who is taking advantage? Who is participating in that mentorship program? And who is taking advantage of the programs that are being offered? Uh, and are they meeting the needs of those underrepresented, but are they also continuing to develop other staff, other employees within the organization? So those are just two ways that we would recommend uh, from Engineers Canada. There are many more that we have highlighted in our employer resources that are available to anyone on our website. And working back from there, the point where we need to get more women's feet in the door, so to speak, what would you say needs to be done at that kind of recruitment and hiring stage differently? So employers need to take a close look at their hiring processes 
to ensure that their hiring processes themselves, and this includes how the job description is written. It includes the kinds of questions that are asked in an interview. It includes the onboarding, but there isn't bias that is implicitly integrated into those questions or into the job posting. And there are great tools out there that already exist that can be applied to creating job postings that can appeal to all genders or creating questions for a job interview that can bring out or take out or remove implicit bias, as well as looking at onboarding processes and ensure that they bring the kind of welcoming and welcome and inclusive um, and feeling of inclusion that's necessary to retain underrepresented individuals. Do you see differences in those communications that are necessary to uh, be more welcoming specifically to women than to men? I mean, assuming that those in the past have been more welcoming to men? So I can give you an example. And I remember seeing this when I was a young engineer. There was a, a job posting and uh, it was for a uh, an entry-level engineer, and it was at a consulting company, and it specifically said that uh, it, it listed the technical technical requirements, and it was posted in a in a national newspaper. And in addition to that, it listed, "We'd like you to be on our hockey team," mm-hmm. and and uh, like something about being a hockey player, or being on the hockey team would be an advantage. And I could see uh, a young woman engineer looking at that and thinking, well, yes, maybe I play hockey, but am I really the person that this organization is looking for? And that is the type of thing. It's not as explicit currently, but that would be an example of a way that a job posting could uh, inadvertently keep a woman out. And are you finding that the companies are very welcoming of these suggestions and recommendations because they also face their own issues in a shrinking labor pool. You know, there's more reason for them in a self-serving way to also do outreach to women and other underrepresented groups to make sure that they have the next generation of engineers working for them. Yes, you've described a really important point that with the challenges around the shrinking labor pool, with the challenges around succession at consulting companies in particular, it's very important that we don't miss out on the opportunities that bringing in underrepresented groups such as women and retaining them can offer to organizations such as consulting companies, but also others. Do you see opportunities uh, through those programs to not only measure that percentage of women newly licensed as engineers, 20 by 20, 30 by 30, but also is there a way to measure and track the actual sort of clout that women have within the industry? Um, You know, are they getting into senior positions within the firms, that type of thing? So one of the places that we're starting is with what we call our 30 by 30 scorecard and something that our regulators are experimenting with. That scorecard looks not only at how are our regulators doing on a provincial or territorial basis against the path to 30 by 30, but it looks at what is the representation of women on their councils, for example? What is the representation of women within their own organizations? And we feel that that's that's a good start. That scorecard is still at a pilot phase. We would like to see that type of a scorecard used in the engineering profession more broadly. 
there are organizations out there that have created such scorecards and we are working with those organizations. Um, now, this interview is for International Women's Day in March that so we're timing it for. Tell us about International Women in Engineering Day in uh, coming up in June. Certainly. So I'll start by saying that Engineers Canada is a member of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations. And because of that, we are also a member of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations Women in Engineering Committee. And the International Women in Engineering Day actually began through the work of one of the individuals that is a member of that committee, uh, an individual out of the UK. And we find that our participation in that committee is very beneficial because it enables us to share our experiences out of Canada, our challenges, our successes, but also to hear from other parts of the world what their challenges and successes have been and what their potential ways forward could be. Uh, there's great opportunity for information exchange and we are working together with them to collaborate on an event that is truly international. Yeah, what, uh, how do, does Canada compare to other countries in terms of getting women into the engineering field? Does the fact that this organization is based in the UK sort of suggest that they've been quite progressive? One of the things about engineering is that it's not licensed in the same way in all around the world. Right. And one of the things that Engineers Canada has introduced to the Women Engineering Committee is, is it possible to take the pilot scorecard that we've created and then deploy it to all of the member countries within the World Federation for Engineering Organizations because different countries measure progress towards uh, gender parity differently. Different countries don't measure it at all. Different countries are actually doing very, very well. But the way that engineering is perceived in some countries is different than the way that it's, than it's perceived here. Would you say that Engineers Canada, uh, its Women in Engineering program, have there been any precedents around the world that you're kind of able to model your efforts after? Um, research. Research is a very important part of how equity, diversity, inclusion work at Engineers Canada and our 30 by 30 work has evolved. When we want to take an action, we want to make sure that its underpinnings are solidly embedded in research. And we've been able to benefit from international organizations like the Society of Women Engineers at Global. We've been able to benefit from research that's been done in other countries around women in engineering, but also underrepresented groups in engineering, and what has been successful there and what could be successful in Canada. Similarly, we have shared our research outside of Canada also. So can you give me any examples of that research that really has stood out for you? Yes. So research that we have shared includes the research around the importance of a tool such as a scorecard and how it could be applied. Research that we have taken in includes the importance of understanding women's history and women's contributions to engineering. The Society of Women Engineers, for example, has a great compilation of the history of women's contributions. And one of the things that we found is that if individuals or if the public is unfamiliar with women's contributions, there seems to be less uh, impetus to be able to encourage 
that women and under other underrepresented groups should be part of the profession. And I say that because I'm sure that you've, you've heard the expression, oh, there are no great women chefs, or there are no great women artists, or there are no great women sculptors. In fact, for hundreds of years, there have been women sculptors. For hundreds of years, there have been women artists. And in some cases, the work of women sculptors and the work of women artists have actually been signed by men. So that compilation of history allows the, uh, a better understanding of where women have contributed to the engineering profession in the past and the continued importance of women's contributions into the future. So I would imagine that's something Engineers Canada would do maybe on an ongoing basis, but especially at International Women in Engineering Day, that would be an opportunity to look back and say, hey, here's some of the history you may not have heard of? Yes. And in fact, um, on another note, just around women's contributions in the present, for International Women in Engineering Day, we have also looked at, and this is um, at the beginning of COVID, what are women's contributions, women in engineering in Canada, what are their contributions to the improvement of life during COVID. So for example, with respect to uh, PPE or with respect to testing or with respect to indoor air quality. Uh, yes, absolutely. International Women in Engineering Day is a wonderful day to highlight the contributions of women in engineering. I can also share that with respect to International Women in Engineering Day, it allows Engineers Canada to work with organizations around the world to collectively provide a focus and a spotlight on women in engineering while they're still highly underrepresented in the profession here in Canada and in many other places around the world. It's also a day to encourage more young women and girls to take up engineering careers, and it can serve as a day to focus engineering on a call to action to forge a more gender inclusive profession. Thank you so much for that wrap up. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the women and men currently working in the construction industry as engineers? Yes, absolutely. We need to move away from the view of women in engineering and equity, diversity and inclusion as issues that can be solved by simply hiring a woman or a person of color or someone from another underrepresented group onto the team. Instead, we have to acknowledge that there is an issue of discrimination. We have to raise awareness of unconscious bias, microaggressions, and systemic barriers that exist for women, Indigenous, Black people, people of color, persons with disabilities, and also internationally trained engineers. And we need to all commit to making changes, learning and unlearning stereotypes, and actively work towards making engineering workplaces sites where historically underrepresented groups can thrive. And then finally, I would say that a key obstacle, and this is demonstrated in research, a key obstacle to attracting and retaining women is a culture of exclusion. Everyone in the culture, everyone in the industry can contribute to a workplace culture that fosters mutual respect and creates a more inclusive culture. Thank you very much for your time today, Jeanette. I appreciate it. We will certainly be encouraging our audience to uh, tune in for what's going on in June and International Women in Engineering Day. Uh, but in the meantime, to, uh, to celebrate uh, all of March uh, for women in the uh, construction field. Thank you again. Great. Thanks so much, Peter. Your invitation was greatly appreciated.